I learned from every single piece of it and a massive experience. So I decided that the more I get exposed to culture and talk to different backgrounds and talk to different people from different countries, the more I will evolve and the faster I will evolve. So that was my commitment to myself is every three years, I'm going to move a country until I settle down somewhere that I find myself very happy in, but also driving myself into the career level that I wanted to be at. Hi there, this is Vijay Damoji Prapu, and you're listening to the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders podcast. The show where I go behind the scenes with top go-to-market practitioners to discuss their mindset and tactics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another engaging, exciting episode of the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders podcast. Today, I have with me Kahim Zuhi from Australia, who is also the Chief Operating Officer of Cascade. So Kahim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Hopefully, I got the name right and pronounced it right. You know what? It has been always a challenge. So I think let's go with that. It's beautiful when you say it. And I like it. So I'm going to go with this pronunciation. I'm going to try to make this one the official one from now on. I really like it. Thank you. All right. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So I always like to start my show asking this specific question with all my guests. And you're no different, of course. So my question to you is, how do you define go-to-market? Go-to-market is one of the broadest, like I think, terms in B2B SaaS especially. And I think the way I would define it is kind of like the plan that you as a company use to take out to the market product and services and offer. It could be how you organize your sales team, how you do marketing. What does your even model of a product looks like? Is it with a freemium on top? Is it book a demo? Is it the acquisition channels through reports, through content, through social media, through videos, through brand? It's all of these aspects or tactics that come together to define your plan of taking your offer to the market. I think we covered uh, quite a few areas and functions within that. That includes the product piece, includes the marketing, and of course, it includes the sales. But I've not heard you mention about customer success or even customer support explicitly, but how do you view that critical function within B2B SaaS especially? Absolutely. And I think it's one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle because, again, when you decide if you are sales-led, marketing-led, or product-led, there are different functions that form. And I think for me, customer success is one of the most important and crucial pieces of the puzzle with the customer experience or customer support, depending on how we call it. It's a continuity of this offer. And the go-to-market is not only at acquisition level, but it's also at retention level. It's also at expansion level. Cascade works in a way where we have land and expand. So our customer success teams are the people that are helping the account or helping the customers grow using Cascade. So they are extremely important in the go-to-market because they are explaining the brand and they are a huge monetization kind of source for our job today. All right, let's switch gears a little bit over here, more on to the lighter side of things. How do your parents slash kids, if you have them, how would they describe what you do on a day-to-day basis? Okay, so I do not have kids, but it's funny because my parents would say, 
and have been saying for at least 15 years now. They say, I'm a director and I do stuff that make businesses successful. Did they ever understand what I do? Never. They just throw some names and words and they say, he works in software, he's a director, he's involved in strategy and data, and he helps companies. And that's it. So that's how my parents would define me. Yeah, fantastic. I think they just nailed the definition very well. It's a combination of you help companies, you help with the strategy, and you help them succeed. What else do you want? I mean, I think they clearly nailed it very well. It's just, it has been the same definition for 15 years, even though my job has changed so many times. That's how my dad is always saying it. And he always thought he's Lebanese. And he always thought with the word, he's a director. So if you don't know he's a director now, you have to know that he's a director. Even when I wasn't a director, in his eyes, I was a director, which is funny. So if you're a chief operating officer, which you are today, but you're still a director to him. For him, it did not change. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So let's talk about the journey. I mean, talk about your career evolution. I think you've done multiple roles, all the way from risk analyst to product marketing, and now you're responsible end-to-end for all the go-to-market functions at Cascade. So walk us through the journey and also... If you can, touch on the inflection points. What led you to that next level of growth? Starting from a long time ago, I always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I ended up being a software and energy engineer. I graduated and I did not want to be a software engineer, but I wanted to be always in technology. And that fancy pass at that point was actually the strategy consultant role that I took at the end of my university. I worked in management and strategy consulting for three years, and I was lucky enough that all my projects were actually digital transformation. All of it was about moving to the cloud, building a new infrastructure and information systems for the core business of the businesses I worked with. Retail, retail banking, sorry, insurance, government and administration, and also energy. And that ended with me asking myself a question, what do I like? Okay, I'm exposed to all of these industries and businesses. I like the strategy piece, but what do I want to be doing from now on? And the answer was the digital piece, the software piece. So I moved to Amadeus, which is one of the largest companies in the world that enables airlines to connect with travel agencies. That's a very common word we hear today, which is the word travel. It's one of the biggest ones, Amadeus. And I used to work for the SAP of product helping him with all the strategy presentations, the roadmap, the business planning. And from that, I moved to Expedia and I moved to Seattle from Paris. And I worked for Expedia for over three years. And I was working on almost the same concepts, but this time I'm working for a SaaS business and we call, I think, strategy product marketing. And it is interesting because I think it's almost like the intersection of the the go-to-market piece, which is, okay, taking this offer to the market, but also talking to the product managers and talking to the engineers about what is the right product that we want to build, who are we building it for, how can we help build a product in an agile mode and build layers on top of each other rather than building a sequence of things. And yeah, I worked in product marketing at Expedia for three years. And then I received a message online from a very nice guy who called me and he said, would you like to call Bondi Beach home? Bondi Beach is the largest beach of Sydney and the most known one. And I was like, why not? 
I could explore this. I've been in Seattle. It's been rainy. I love the city, but uh, I could use some sun. But what is the company that you are working for? And that was actually Safety Culture. Safety Culture is one of the newest unicorns. Yeah. So before we dive into your role at Safety Culture, something unique, which I've not seen in a lot of people that I've met, is your ability and your openness to move across geographies. You started off in Seattle, moved to France or even Paris, and then all the way to Australia. I mean, there are two pieces, right? One is your willingness and wantingness to shift. But then how do recruiters or hiring managers, how do they reach out to you? And how do you let them know that you're open to moving across geographies? You don't want to go into this. It's a very, very long story. We have the time. I was, <laughs> I was born in <laughs> Lebanon, half my life in France, uh, studied in Spain, uh, did some internship in the UK, lived a bit in Berlin, uh, trying to help a startup. I stayed there five months just before Amadeus. I never talk about it, but that was a very cool experience for me to try to do something. And then, yeah, I moved from Paris to Seattle and Seattle to Sydney. Hopefully, I'm going to call Sydney home now. But I think for me was the curiosity about exploring new cultures and exchanging ideas with different people from different backgrounds have always helped me learn and evolve in my mindset. Also helped me look at things from a very different perspective. I worked with very large organizations in Europe and in Middle East. And one of the biggest projects I worked on was one of the first ones, which was for BNP Paribas, one of the largest banks in Europe. And I used to work with five entities, the Turkish one, the Italian one, the Belgian one, the Moroccan one, and the French one. And that was almost one of the first exposure to culture and how different countries work. And I learned from every single piece of it and a massive experience. So I decided that the more I get exposed to culture and talk to different backgrounds and talk to different people from different countries, the more I will evolve and the faster I will evolve. So that was my commitment to myself is every three years, I'm going to move a country until I settle down somewhere that I find myself very happy in, but also driving myself into the career level that I want to be at. Yeah. So there are two pieces to my question. One is what you seek and what you want to do, but then there's also the other piece of the pull, right? I mean, companies, recruiters, hiring managers, they need to know that you're available. Is it more of you pushing and approaching them or are they pulling you? Like in safety culture, in the case of safety culture, it looks like they pulled you or they reached out to you. Is, is that correct? I have never applied for a job. Aside from the first one out of university, I feel lucky that I had this path to jobs where I was working hard and trying to be kind of almost referred all the time. So Amadeus, I knew people in there before I joined. I got pushed from Amadeus by the customer Expedia. And then I got LinkedIn, the outreach from LinkedIn to move to Safety Culture and the same thing right now with Cascade. I feel lucky. I think when you are active, when you are delivering results and helping companies and always leaving in good terms, you can find the next job easier. And that was something that happened to me, luckily enough for me in my career. Fantastic. So I just want to reiterate for the listeners, especially those who are more earlier on in their career, I think the key points that you emphasize there is do a good job, no matter what your role is. At some point in time, definitely you will be recognized. And when you leave a company in good terms or your team, it'll be a ripple effect. Yeah, the confidence you build 
comes from your determination to achieve stuff, but also from a mindset that you set for yourself, which is the one I always set is always chase two jobs ahead. If you always look for two jobs ahead, you perform in your job in a very different way that you become excellent at the scope that you're doing, but way more than what you were supposed to be doing. And then very quickly, it will be very noticed that you are bigger than the job. So you get the job faster. And then the next job that comes in is two levels faster than what you were aiming for with the same company where you are at. Does that make sense? It does. So let's take the example of now you are at safety culture. And when you were joining safety culture, so let's apply your principle, which is you're thinking about two jobs ahead. And how did you approach that when you landed at safety culture? I have a strategy when I come to a new business, which is my six first months are the hardest work I ever do in a business. I work extremely hard. I meet every person in the business. I help every person, whether it is a small thing or a big thing. I try to bring all my experience. I read so much. I become obsessed by the business model, by the industry, by the, by the problem that the company is solving. And in my first six months, I arrived and I did that same way. And I connected with everyone. I learned everything. And after six months, you become kind of almost the go-to that people come to and ask questions and ask for recommendations. And that's what I have done at Safety Culture. And that's what I'm doing right now as well, is helping everyone trying to understand. There's a concept of, I could say that could be a bit controversial, but I don't try to listen too much because I think when you come to a new business is the best opportunity for not listening too much and bringing something different. So that's something I always do, which is, okay, this is what you have been doing. I would suggest this. I listen a bit, but then I also try to push them for new things that they haven't been exploring. And I'm against this idea of saying for the next three months when you start a job, just listen. You become actually part of what you have listened to and then you are not able to change. And I think if I summarize what I said before, I work hard, I understand everything, but at the same time, I'm pushing for change and I'm bringing new stuff as soon as I can and not just listening. Yeah. So talk about what you've done at Safety Culture that led you to what you're doing today at Cascade. Safety Culture is the newest unicorn uh, of Australia. I joined them when they were at 440 million evaluation. Right now they are sitting at 2.1 billion, I guess. And we had two funding raise series in my time there. And I think the main thing that I have done with them is actually driving focus and shifting almost the entire strategy of the business through narrative and trying to find kind of like what is the best narrative that we should be designing and then start building towards this narrative. It was actually the continuation of what Luke Anir, the CEO, has done. And I tried to lift up a lot of our concepts, a lot of our stories to meet the next level of the story which is kind of this platform for operations that helps businesses perform better through quality checks, through safety checks and operation checks. And this is kind of my biggest addition to safety culture during my time with them. So you were at safety culture and you were leading 
product marketing. Yep. Includes the lifecycle marketing. I mean, the customer marketing as well, not just at the prospect or the buyer stage, but even after. And I clearly recall from our conversation, maybe what it was about 18 months ago or thereabouts, 12 or 18 months ago, right? One thing that really stood out was your love and passion for segmentation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. You remember that? Absolutely, yeah. my friend. I mean, segmentation as well as uh, hitting the right customer journey points, delivering value throughout, right? I think that that was key. So that really stood out for me. And that's what I saw in you. Let's talk segmentation. I guess when I say narrative, that was the biggest outcome. But narrative comes from a lot of research, a lot of analysis, a lot of discussions with customers, talking to existing customers, talking to people online, talking to prospects, talking to businesses in general, you come to a decision around your customer segmentation and also ideal customer profile and the target audience. And I think as soon as I arrived to safety culture, I took what I did last at Expedia, which is customer segmentation. And customer segmentation has always been kind of the driver of this narrative that I talked about, but has also been the biggest thing that helps businesses restructure their teams to be focusing on what matters and to be focusing on this ideal customer profile and building all the narrative around the target audience that you are looking at. So when I spoke about this operation platform, obviously, when you are talking about improving operations, increasing the quality and safety, you're targeting almost like a larger organization because this is where the silos start happening. This is where distributed teams are across different departments across different locations as well. So the segmentation was this kind of foundational work that helped the whole business streamline, focus, build a better narrative, and design all our marketing campaigns, as well as our product roadmap, and help us actually build, again, the right product, the right offer, and the right narrative. Thanks for reminding me this, because I'm actually almost doing the same thing right now with Cascade. Perfect. So that leads to your current role, which is what you're doing at Cascade, right? I mean, that's a big jump when you were earlier responsible for product marketing pieces. Now you're responsible as a COO, you're responsible for different aspects, not just within marketing, but even within sales and other pieces, right? So talk to us about how you're making that mental shift. Let's start off with that first. One of my biggest weaknesses is that I have always been, it's almost a weakness, but I have always been able to build on top of something, but I'm never a starter. I don't start things. I kind of finish them well. But the other thing is, I guess, is I have always been in theoretical jobs where I tell people what we should be doing. This is a strategy. This is the plan. This is the best way to get there. This is how I would structure teams. This is how I would build the product. This is how I would talk to the customer. And it has always been my job to be kind of like advising and recommending and showing how we should be doing it. But I was actually at the end of safety culture getting frustrated by myself because I'm never executing and I'm never actually on the operational side of the business and see if what I say makes sense on the ground. So when I actually met with Tom, the founder and CEO of Cascade, he said, do you want to co-manage the business with me? And I was like, what does that include? He said, everything from the theory and the strategy to the execution. 
And this actually kind of was the best next step for me because I was actually thinking like, okay, what do I do next? And that was the best outcome because this is the first time I'm exposed to the execution and I'm also kind of accountable for the results, not only for the theory, because it was always easier for me to say, I told you so when it didn't work, but how do you execute it sometimes was the hardest part. And I'm actually figuring this out now because a lot of my concepts, a lot of my principles and a lot of my theories are now being exposed to the execution and getting concretized. Are all of them working? Absolutely not. But it's by executing them that I'm realizing where I was failing and where I was falling short. Right now, I'm managing all the customer-facing teams. This is marketing. This is customer success, account executive, and customer experience. But I'm also managing kind of the operational side of the business with the finance, with the people and performance, with the operation. Uh, Moving offices is included. And at the same time as this, feeding as much as I can into our PLG model that we're building, into our freemium into our structure overall, into our organization strategy and the product that we are shaping uh, up to the next level right now. Yeah, that was the main rationale for me moving. And this is how I did the move so far. Fantastic. And this was, again, one of those inbound, like Tom or someone approached you for the role, similar to your previous roles. I had a headhunter calling me and he said, would you like to work for a company that is doing strategy, disrupting the world of strategy, redefining how execution of strategy is is the key to success. And I was like, okay, that reminds me something. I always have done beautiful PowerPoints in my management consulting experience. And we would leave sometimes even earlier than the strategy is presented or even committed. And it was beautiful PowerPoint slides. I was very good at design. These strategies sit on a shelf for six, seven months. And then seven months later, they would do another strategy. And the other one would have never been executed because it's too late. But it's always like this cycle where January, you want to go to the gym. February, you have like two or three birthdays and you never go to the gym again. And then in May, you pick it up. So it's the same with strategy. And that's why I actually got excited. This topic of strategy getting executed. And when the headhunter called me, I was, yeah, I want to do this. Let's talk about it. What you're doing essentially is at Cascade, you're building products that help other teams execute their strategy better, right? But at the same time, you're responsible for the execution of your strategy. It's very similar to, I mean, when I was at Sugar CRM, I was doing product marketing there and responsible for one of the products that we were looking to launch there, right? For me, it, was, it felt like, okay, I'm telling others how they should do the job better, but it also applies to me where I should be doing a job. It's almost like dog footing. It's funny when we are in product marketing, how we see the world from a very different perspective. And because product marketing becomes a cult in some ways, we all listen to each other. We agree on things. And it's almost like alcohol anonymous. And then we go into a room, we talk about it. No one understands us. No one wants to listen to us. And then we go out of the room even more empowered and feeling that we were absolutely right. But then, yeah, when it comes to the execution is where, where we feel like, okay, that was painful when you executed. The strategy execution, this is what Cascade is about, is actually about the strategy execution and acceleration. Ourselves, we use Cascade to hit every next milestone we have. It's just a simple concept where you put your plans in one place, you assign goals, not just projects. So you assign 
the goals or the strategic focus areas of the business to people and hold them accountable. And then you help them define the projects and leading and, and lagging KPIs, and then start seeing how they are working on a daily basis towards the strategic goals that they have set with the business. And it's actually a merger of uh, bottom-up and top-down meeting together because the leadership team is just sharing a vision, a direction, and context. And then the teams are building their own strategy with the energy, with the buy-in and adoption that you always need in a business to make a strategy happen. Explain to us as to what is the need for a product that will help in the execution of strategy? What are the gaps that are out there? And you guys have really big brands as your customers. How are they actually using your product, Cascade, in executing their strategy? And what kind of results are they seeing today? Yeah, absolutely. So I think every business needs to put a strategy together and then go execute it. The problem that Tom has found when he started Cascade and when he built the platform around 2016, 2017, was that people want to plan and keep planning for two, three, six months sometimes. And they never get the opportunity to execute because they think that the plan is not ready. And it's all about the perfect plan. It's all about communicating the plan. But the reality is one month after you start the plan is where you start needing to change some of the plan because you are looking at a specific goal that you want to hit at the end of the year and you start building strategies to get there. And strategies is just kind of tactics to hit a goal and strategies should be changing as you learn what is working and what is not working. When he started discovering the pain of customers, all were saying that we have a strategy, but it never gets executed. Or statements like, when COVID hit, strategy took a backseat. Or I tried to do one hour of strategy per week, but the rest is BAU, business as usual. And this is where today, I think we figured out the biggest problem of customers, which is kind of like, okay, how do we help customers? execute on amazing strategies and an amazing plans that they start the year with and they never realized at the end of the year. And the platform was built this way saying, let's plan, let's manage the execution, but at the same time, let's track in real time what is happening. So the tracking helps you feed back to the plan, change the plan over time. And PowerPoints does not let you do this. Excel file does not let you do this. And the other side of the world is task management and project management. The challenge with task management and project management is that it does not look at the context and the big picture. You can do 10 projects and the 10 projects are extremely well executed and all of them finish on time, but the combination of the projects does not drive results of businesses. And the biggest thing that I would say when you execute strategy and start with kind of the biggest focus areas is kind of this alignment where you align people towards bigger goals rather than actually silo them into just projects that sometimes don't connect to each other. I know that's a big topic. We can spend hours and hours just diving into that strategy piece, the definition, the execution and all that, right? The challenge with that is a lot of things. When you talk to a lot of the folks within industry, they see strategy as a buzzword and they see that more as a very shiny object versus what many people don't realize, especially when you look at the more mid or the lower management or even the individual contributors is 
it's a vehicle for everyone to align. Two things happen. The first one is people focus on the framework and they say, oh, we are moving to OKRs now. What does that mean? You're moving to OKRs, but what is your strategy? What are you trying to achieve this year? And how do you break it down into smaller pieces is what matters. It's not the problem of the framework. Any framework can work. It's all about the content of your strategy. And the second one is, how do you fix this messy middle? You have your executive that understand the vision. They are trying to communicate it very, very often to the teams. They are telling them that this is where we want to be. They tend to speak about goals all the time. And they say, this is the strategy, but this is actually just the goal. The strategy is just the definition of how to get there. And then you got the people on the ground, very busy with tasks, doing stuff, and they are doing what they were told. But then there's this messy middle that sometimes is not able to translate this vision into tasks from this direction and feeding back from the bottom up kind of the feedback and the results in a structured way that is feeding into the vision and the direction of the business. So let's bring it back to the core topic of this podcast, which is go-to-market. So how would you describe and how would you explain the go-to-market of Cascade? And what do you see are our big goals for the remainder of 2021? We are a SaaS business and we have a free trial that gives you access to the product to see the value that you can get. But as soon as possible, we try to communicate with our ideal customer profiles to help them when strategy becomes a very complex topic where there are many departments and many teams trying to align and fix the strategy. This trial is converting to a PLG freemium model. And I would say that this is our biggest focus in terms of go-to-market is to address this breadth and try to open and make strategy available to everyone through this freemium concept where they can use Cascade to a certain level with high level, high value features that can help them achieve everything they want to a certain extent. So let me actually interrupt you over there because you talked about product-led growth and then freemium and free trial. So which means it is a bottom-up strategy in this case. So where the end user has some challenge or pain, so they feel that pain in understanding and executing the strategy. So in your case, who is that persona? I mean, if you look at, just just pick an example of a marketing team or even a sales leader, right? Who is a persona who feels the pain and reaches out to Cascade and downloads Cascade? It's interesting because every time we speak about, obviously, PLG, a lot of businesses immediately think about the end user as a very low level in the organization. But it's actually not always true. Uh, In our situation, our first users are sometimes head of operation, head of supply chain, head of strategy, head of finance, feeling the pain based on their KPIs that they are not hitting. And they believe that there is an efficiency and effectiveness problem within their company. So they reach out, they try to do it themselves. Are we 100% self-serve today? We are not yet there. Our account executive get in contact with them, the ICP, the ID customer profiles, and then try to help them go faster on the journey. And this approach is kind of the proactive approach to some of the customers that land into Cascade. And we take them into the journey faster through human interactions and communication. So we have them build a plan and then define and kind of identify who is involved in strategy. Who are the departments that need to be 
on this platform to execute the strategy. So it's almost like a land and expand for this cohort of uh, customers. And we jump into calls and conversation with them as soon as possible. Then you got the self-serve side, which is the other type of customers, which are small companies who need a place where they can build a plan and execute it with five, 10 people. It's very often kind of the CEO of the business and they are small company. So it's still top down from that perspective. But if you take examples of, I don't know, like Johnson & Johnson is one of our largest customers. They use the platform to roll out the COVID vaccine. That's their biggest project right now. And it's led by the supply chain team. And they are bringing on board all the distribution teams, their relationship with their customers, and how do they roll out the vaccine in the most effective way. So they start actually almost figuring out who is involved in these strategies and bring them on board through an expansion of the use case every day. And we enable these conversations from strategy perspective, and we enable them with a support, whether it is a product level or organizational level as well. Understood. Now that gives me and the listeners a better sense of who your personas are. And as well as when you talk about the freemium, I think I have a much better sense now as to how they reach out to you and experience the free part. It's a combination, right? It's not entirely a product-led growth. So for me, when I think about product-led growth and freemium and bottom-up, it's like products like Zoom, where I can go download and run it on my own. And then once I feel good about it, I can go talk to my team and the upper management and then we adopt Zoom, right? That's just an example. Not that I'm promoting Zoom or anything over here, but it's just that model that comes to my mind. So I think the next level, which is when we get freemium, you will be able to build a bottom-up plan and then involve your team. So you can be the first user. I think the concept of strategy involves someone that is really thinking strategically about the team and Cascade is made for teams. So it could be just a team leader coming and bringing uh, two or three people in the team or a team member bringing the team leader because they've heard of it. So this is where the PLG will be almost 100% self-serve and driving our freemium model that is hopefully coming out in the couple next months. Got it. All right. So switching gears and coming to the second part of my question earlier, which is what do you see are the top goals or the biggest goals for your team for the second half of this year? I'm not going to go into the details, but we are on a journey to double the business this year then double 0.5 next year, then double again, and hopefully be a unicorn towards end of mid-2024. It is all about two things. The first one is the breadth, bringing more organizations on board. And the second one is the depth, which is expanding use cases within our existing customers. So we are focusing on monetization, retention, and engagement at the same time, as well as acquisition, like every company does. But the two North Star metrics for the business are monthly active users and ARR, or what I would call NRR, which is the net revenue retention of our existing customers. By the way, just calling out, you and your team just pulled off the world's first strategy festival. So talk to us about how you guys did that planning. And I mean, we talked about 10,000 registrations. That's a big number. And you guys pulled it off in what, a couple of months? I think end of March, I met this crazy guy. He said, I want to work for you guys. And I was like, Lucas, what do you want to do? He said, give me something and I will do it. Lucas is Argentinian. He's first in, in his MBA at the university. And he's like, I'm really passionate about your topic. So give me a big thing and I will do it. I was like, well, let's throw the world's first festival of strategy and let's make strategy fun 
and accessible for everyone. He's like, okay, give me a week. Let's build a plan. So a week in, he started after presenting some good concepts. He said, we need comedy. We need live music. We need top line speakers. And I think I can commit to 2,500 registration. I was like, okay, 2,500 seem reasonable. What about we just get a goal of 5,000? He said, okay, 5,000. In actually almost two weeks of outreach, we were able to convince incredible speakers from large organizations like XCMO and CSO of Starbucks and Disney, general manager at Heineken, a general manager of Cloud Azure, Microsoft, head of strategy at Google, et cetera, et cetera. And then with the names coming in to speak about strategy and why strategy is broken, we started seeing an incredible registration number going up. Then we hit the 5,000. I was like, I never said 5,000. I said 10,000. <laughs> so Snarky. Okay. <laughs> so we hit the 10,000 through virality. And I think through a lot of hustle, I think lean execution with kind of like delivering the message that is right to our customers on social media. We did some paid marketing. We did a lot of email communication to our existing customers and we were able to make it. So now we are getting ready for the next festival, hopefully towards October. And we are aiming for 20,000 registration this time. Fantastic. I mean, you guys pulled off something that many big companies and even startups would wish for. So really happy for you guys and what you guys did. And it looks like you found a superstar in your event management and event person now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. So let's wind down. Let's go to wrapping up section of this, which is if you were to look back or even if you look across your shoulders and to your peers in the industry, who played a big role in influencing and inspiring to what you are doing today? I think there were a lot of people in the journey that I was extremely inspired by. And I learned from so many people a bit of things. But to be very fair, I think the person that inspired me the most in my entire career was Luke Anier, the founder and CEO of Safety Culture. Luke is the person that inspired me the most because of his determination and his thinking about the future with his teams while he's talking about the present. And it's almost incredible energy to show you the future as part of the present all the time and drive your motivation as if you were in the future, but you are in the present. I don't know how to speak about this, but I think it was one of the game-changing moments of my life when you inspire people and when you lead, giving context rather than control what they are doing, but also give them the vision that did not happen and make them make it happen that same day. It's something that I learned, I think, forever. And his obsession for the customer, his obsession for the mission that he's been driving the team has been just outstanding for me. And he influenced me a lot in my life. Clearly, strategy is a big topic for you. But besides strategy, what topics are top of mind for you and how do you keep yourself up to date? Is it the combination of books, community, podcasts, or even like other forums? What are the big topics that are top of mind for you? And what are your vehicles for you to come up to speed and ramp up on those? Okay, I think I can make this one short. The last four months, I haven't been reading as much as I wish. I try to read a lot of blogs online. Reforge is one of my favorites when it comes to a product-led growth along with OpenView. I think for me, what I also look at right now is a lot of inspirational kind of like 
leaders that can help me also speak better and communicate better what we're trying to do with the team. It's a heavyweight. We have grown the team from 30 people to 60. Am I doing everything right? I'm learning a lot, <laughs> I would say. And I think this leadership role needs a lot of communication skills and work on how to address problems that are company-wide, but also how to communicate a vision every day without being too pushy, but also without forcing some ideas on extremely smart people, extremely incredible people, uh, people around you in the team. So I'm trying to talk to my mentors. I think most of my knowledge comes from the mentors that I try to connect with, as well as the experience itself and reading about the business from Reforge and OpenView and other companies has been very uh, useful for me. And the last question for you is, if you were to wind back time and go back to day one of your go-to-market role, the first go-to-market role, what advice would you give to your younger self? I think testing faster. I used to read too much online. And sometimes reading is not as good as we think because we read too much. We stop at the theory and we try to align to make the plan perfect from a theoretical perspective. We do all the analysis, we do all the research, and then we move testing to a bit far in the journey. And I think testing early is the best concept that applies to any business, to any industry, to any job. Learn fast, fail fast, and improve fast, I would say, is something that I didn't used to do very well in the past. Makes sense. Fantastic. Any parting words or anything? How can people learn and find more about you? And what is your final message to the audience? First of all, thank you so much for listening to me talking about so much stuff. And I don't even know if I respected the time right now, but thank you for this opportunity. And I would say that I'm trying to be very active on LinkedIn. So anyone that needs any recommendation or advice on anything, let me know on LinkedIn. And I answer very proactively and very quickly as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Kahim Zuhi. Hopefully I got that right. And I would Amazing. I was able to repeat it again. So that's your new pronunciation. Amazing. There you go. I, maybe I should trademark that piece. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks yeah, for thank having you. me. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Wonderful. Hi there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders podcast. I have all of the show notes and a full transcript on strative.com. S T R A T Y V E dot com. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get a podcast, leave a rating and a review. Your comments will help other go to market professionals find this podcast. <music>